where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Bonnie D. in the house. I can never remember which way I said was the future, so we'll just say it's out there somewhere. Everybody says the future's already here, and we'll give you an answer to that at the end of the show. We have an opinion. So here we are. We're hoping we don't, we have solving a freezing issue on my Mac, but life is pretty good. We just froze on LinkedIn for a second here, but I'm going to keep talking so my guests get used to the new situation on live radio. Here we are. We're back. So let me give you my opening. This is part three, four, five. I can't even remember. I've had these guests on before many times because it's a hot topic and it will stay that way for a long time. Let's do a history lesson. The Diamond Sutra, okay? I didn't say the other sutra. The Diamond Sutra is the world's oldest printed book published 1,100 years ago. Just think about that. 600 years later, now I've got a timeline for you. In the year 1440, a German gentleman named Johann Gutenberg, you've heard of him, invented the printing field. 1993, somebody named Peter James had the nerve to publish a thriller host on two floppy disks, a thriller book, and it was the world's first electronic novel. We call it an ebook. And something called Bibliobooks launched a website. They were selling ebooks, hooray. And then along came the Kindle. And the Kindle had two gigabytes of storage and it could hold over a thousand books. Eddie, I want you to smile on that one. Surprise, today print books still make up more than 65% of the sales. The book market those of you who love to buy books, is more than $113 billion a year. That's still a lot of money. However, there's competition. Do you have an ebook? Do you have a print book? What are you going to do? Well, they're trying to be unique. So some print books are putting gold gilded edges and transparent overlays and metal covers because they want to stand out in a crowded field. Some ebooks let you choose an adventure storyline. They give you animation. They give you an interactive cover. Where do you want to go? Design the adventure for yourself. And there's a children's book called The Mouse in the Meadow. It uses augmented reality. You put your phone next to the pages and the characters move and interact with each other. Eddie, is this amazing or what? I got all of this from a website called adazing.com, adazing.com on the history of publishing. Let me give you another quote here. And this is from um, Tucker Max, who is the co-founder of the website called Scribe. He says, when people ask me about the future of publishing, my answer always starts with, there's no such thing as a single future of publishing. Every year, traditional publishers release fewer nonfiction books Nonfiction isn't really profitable for them. Meanwhile, the total number of nonfiction books is going up because most authors are self-publishing. This gentleman, Tucker Max, has sold over 5 million books. He's a four-time New York Times bestselling author and, as I said, the co-founder scribe. I have four wonderful people here. We have some novelists. We have some thriller writers. We have a couple of publishers. We have, I think there's some ghost writers among you. We'll find out. So wave to the audience when I call your name. Patricia Worcester, say hello. There she is. And we have Matt Cost. Hi, Matt. Welcome back. Delighted when you said yes to my invitation. We have BJ Magnani. I can pronounce her name. Hi, BJ. Welcome back. Busy lady. She's a doctor, too. 
dabbling in poisons on the side, I hear. We got to get a detective show about you. And then we have Eddie Vincent, the publisher of Encircle, who is working in front of the scenes, behind the scenes to help people publish their books. And our topic today, of course, is the future of technology. Read all about it in the publishing world. So welcome to everyone. Bonnie D again in the house. Happy. This is one of my favorite topics because what do we do? BJ and Patricia and Eddie and Matt, when we want to time out, we read something. Is it online? Is it a blog? Is it an article? Is it a website? Are we paying for subscriptions? But we love books, right? I still like to touch a book, but I don't have room for books. So I get eBooks, right, BJ, from my from my guests on all of my radio shows, and I enjoy them. They're PDFs or they're EPUBs or they're, uh, by the way, Mac, when I upgraded the operating system, it doesn't allow Kindle anymore. It's been going, it's a bug for over a year now. So I tell people don't send me a Kindle book. We want to read, we want to transport, we want to be inspired, we want to learn, we want to travel, we want to go along on a mystery or a thriller, we want to cook something, we want to learn history. Am I covering a couple of genres, Matt? I'm hoping to, to cover them all here. We want something that is not right here in front of us now and books give that to us. So let's get started around the table. I'm going to make a blanket statement here. Uh, the speaking order today will be Patricia, then Matt, then BJ, and then Eddie. Mix it up a little bit this time. I'm going to go on on the, on the a limb here, out on a limb, and say that out of all my hundred, there are a couple hundred thousand people who watch and listen to the show every year, okay? I'm going to guess that altogether there might be 14.72 people in the world who won't remember who one of you are or is, whichever I'm supposed to say. So talk to those 14.72 people, refresh their memories. Who are you? What do you do? What's your business or your company about? What are your books about? And what's your passion for coming back to join me on more about the future of publishing technology? Patricia Worcester, you're first. Welcome back. How are you? Hi, Bonnie. Hi, everyone. It's good to be back. Um, so my name is Patricia Wooster, and I am the founder of Wooster Media. So I've written and published 18 nonfiction books, and my business centers around helping leaders and entrepreneurs and a lot of um, athletes <laughs> write and publish books that help them create an impact with their audience. And then I'm also the uh, partner in Designing Genius, which is a new company where we're helping people discover their personal professional genius and um, creating the tools and in-house content for that as well. So I'm happy to be here. I love sharing and talking about this topic as publishing continues to evolve a lot as we've discovered. So. Thank That's you, me, Patricia. Very happy to have you back. Matt Cost, you're up next. Regale us. What's new? You sitting in front of that computer writing all day long. I got that message in your bio. Tell us about how you started out in the book business. Matt, go ahead. Hi, Bonnie. Good to, good to see you again. Thank you. Matt Cost here. Um, I was a history major, and I went on to own some businesses for a while, including a mystery bookstore, which is featured in one of my mystery novel series, uh, the mainly mystery series. After that, I was sentenced to 10 years teaching uh, junior high school age kids before I was paroled and let go from that. And since then I have been solely writing uh, every day at the computer. Uh, I've published a bunch of books, two different mystery series, the mainly mystery series featuring the coffee dog mystery bookstore 
as well as the Clay Wolf Port Essex Mystery Series. And I also write histories. So I write histories and mysteries, and I'll be combining those with a uh, historical PI mystery coming out next April, uh, set in Brooklyn, New York. Wow, Brooklyn, New York gets to make it onto the pages of a Matt Cost novel. Lucky for <laughs> Brooklyn, good for you. I'm a Queens, New York girl, so, you know. I had grandmas who lived in Brooklyn, but I never lived there. I can't wait to read that. Thank you, Matt. Send me an early copy, please. And let's move on. BJ, welcome back. Have you been? Tell us a little bit about poison and what's going on in your world. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Bonnie. And hi, everyone else. Thanks for having me back again. Um, as I've told you before, I consider uh, this career as a writer, my fourth career, the first one having been a high school teacher the second one, a scientist, as I went back and got a master's and PhD. My third one, I went to medical school, became a pathologist. And now again, my fourth career is a writer. And uh, kind of like Patricia, I did a lot of nonfiction. Uh, first, writing textbooks on poisons, on toxicology, a lot of papers and scientific articles. And I use that knowledge now to write fiction and fiction about a savvy woman assassin. Uh, actually, she's an academic, but she has been recruited by the US government as a covert assassin. And that's my Dr. Lily Robinson series. And she's the queen of all poisons. And this is what's brought me back to your show talking about getting these stories out there for the public. Interesting, you're writing about an assassin. Usually we have the person who's solving. Matt, are all of your, your heroes and heroines are solving mysteries, yes? Yeah, they're, they're not, not really killers. <laughs> <laughs> but I hope they're killer novels, there you go. Anyway, we'll talk about that more. I, I, such a powerhouse panel. Eddie, Vincent, how could I do a show on publishing and not have you here? Seriously, you've been on what, 10 or 12 shows with me already in the past couple of years? A hundred shows? I, I don't know. I, I've, been, I've been on a few. You um, Eddie, welcome back. Talk to us. Thanks. Uh, I'm Eddie Vincent, uh, publisher of Encircle Publications and also the owner of um, uh, agency, a literary agency. So we are now expanding with Golden West Literary. Uh, and I've published two of these authors that are on your show today. Which two? Tell us. Oh, BJ and Matt, sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. Wanted to know. And and Eddie, it, are you excited about the future of publishing? It's still going to happen, right? It's still there. It's still, we're talking about technology, but uh, is this is still, go ahead. There's a lot of opportunity going forward, you know, especially in the audiobook field, the ebook field, there's in the, in the print. I mean, it's the paper product is not going to go away we may find new ways of advertising it and getting it into people's hands, but no, there's plenty of room for publishing to go forward the way it is today and even find new ways. Thank you very much. Thank you all. I'm so impressed with the four of you, with your backgrounds, with your 
commitment to getting books out with your dedication and how smart and motivated you all are. It's that diligence. Uh, I, you know, well, you may not know, I have a Monday night radio show called Read My Lips, Cool Conversations with Creatives. And we were talking about what is the profile, the persona of a creative person. It's not somebody who says, oh, I have Cheerios on Monday and Wednesday and I've shredded wheat on Thursday and Saturday. I'm a creative breakfast person. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about creativity and creating your life, not just artists and dancers and singers and painters and musicians and all that. And one of my guests recently said she considers it to be courageous, courageous creativity, right? Patricia's nodding, going outside the box, outside the mold, doing something that's different, right? BJ, finding your fourth, I'm on my seventh career. Matt, creating series upon series. Eddie, starting a new business in an agency and being an avant-garde publisher in a field that nobody really knew anything about just a few years ago. And here you are. So I admire the four of you for being in in the fold, being in the mix of what's happening with books and publishing. Anyway, that's my my homage to all of you. So let's get going with our opening quotes. And I thank you for, for being here. I consider you all my friends and I'm delighted. Patricia Worcester, let's look at your opening quote. Take about two minutes, explain what it has to do with the future of publishing and technology. You've picked a quote used on a show before. Love this one. It's from The Song by Johnny Cash, 1957. I Walk the Line. It also is a 2005 German-American biographical musical romantic drama film. Don't you like how they put all those genres together, Patricia? They just keep squeezing them in there. Uh, it was uh, based on two autobiographies by Johnny Cash, the 1975 Man in Black, His Own Story in His Own Words, and the 1997 Cash, The Autobiography. And Reese Witherspoon won Best Actress for playing uh, June Carter, his wife, in that movie. So here we go. Here's the quote. I keep you on my mind both day and night, and happiness I've known proves that it's right because you're mine. I walk the line. Patricia, talk to us. How'd you pick this, and what does it have to do with books? So it's interesting. I was listening to this song when my first son was born, and I had just left corporate and was taking care of him, and I was trying to write fiction. And so I'd come from software and was trying to write fiction. I'd been a creative writing major. And it was a disaster. I'm a terrible fiction writer. <laughs> terrible. I didn't know it at the time, but it was terrible. And I remember listening to this and, you know, I had had kind of a difficult time growing up and thought, you know, I want to write a book that helps him when he is middle school, high school, you know, with some of the things that I was struggling with. And that's where the idea for my very first book that I sold to Simon & Schuster, which was called Ignite Your Spark, came from, which was a inspirational book to empower youth. And it was a personal development book. And so it kind of, you know, goes together there. But it was the book that I wish I had had, you know, when I was growing up. So that's kind of how it all ties together. Thank you. Very well done. I wasn't aware of that. And I'm very happy you talked about that. Did your son appreciate the effort in the book? No, my kids don't really read. <laughs> They're more YouTube. If they could watch it on YouTube, they would have, but uh, they claim they read it, but I'm not sure they, by that time they did. <laughs> the shoemaker's children have no shoes, right? There you exactly. Go. Or they don't wear shoes. That's I, I'd love that. to lie and tell you that they're very well read, but you know, I think if I put it on YouTube, they would have seen it. 
That's a right. And and Patricia, what's interesting to me is that you sold the concept in the book to Simon and Schuster, still a big time publishing imprint. And that's impressive. Even though we're talking to people who were self-published or using companies like Encircle, we still don't we we still get impressed. Oh, Simon and Schuster, oh random house. We still there's that that eclat, that that French word. Uh, there's still this this something something je ne sais quoi but i do know what it is of impressiveness you're impressive when you sell something to a big publisher even though it ain't what it used to be right they're not doing everything today and that was i assume your son is more than one or two years old now uh yes if he's youtube we'll Eight, leave 18 18 there we go okay mom i appreciate that let's move around the table matt cost you sent a, a quote that we love from dr sean mcguire played by he left us too soon robin williams i miss him he always looked like he was improving and i hear he was very well rehearsed but he just knew how to read a room the movie is goodwill hunting 1997 american American drama film. Uh, let's see um, who won best supporting actor for Williams, best screenplay for the dynamic duo Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. How about that? And in 1920, I'm sorry, 2014. Sorry, this movie ranked number 53 in the Hollywood Reporter's 100 favorite films. How about that? Here's the line: People call those imperfections, but no, that's the good stuff. Matt, really interesting quote. What are you going to do with that one? Talk to me. Well, first of all, I'm going to compare human beings to books. So Robin Williams' character in that movie is talking about the love of his life and the imperfections that made her up that he said weren't really imperfections, but they were her creative essence, the quirks that melded the two of them together. And so it was those imperfections or quirks or creative essence that made them fall in love. And this is what I'm going to say about books. Books are the same thing, seeing as we're on, you know, technology of the future. Uh, there's a lot of talk about there of AI, artificial intelligence, writing books, taking the plot lines and figuring out exactly what the you know reader wants and putting it into a format and being able to spit out a New York Times bestseller. And I'm gonna suggest that they won't be able to do that because they won't have the imperfections or the flaws or the creative essence that I as an author or other authors and publishers bring to the table to connect that book with that reader to make it special and not just another you know, um, model hacked out. And I know that some of the major newspapers have quietly or not so quietly been using AI to write news articles for several years now. And some of them are maybe better than some of the reporters. But Matt, when I hear that topic, and I appreciate what you did with that, there's a, a word that starts with the letter E that AI is missing, and it's empathy. And that's mm -hmm. the connective tissue between the bot and the human being is do you feel do you feel what I feel? Do you understand the emotions? And you can program just so much and then you're missing that empathy. Am I right, Matt? Absolutely. You know, it's the, about the connection between the writer and the reader that, you know, you know, creates that love of a book. So absolutely. Yes. Thank you very much. Okay. I'm, I'm tempted to tell you some of the thrillers I'm watching on TV. I watch a lot of French 
detective mysteries that are just arrived because I'm refreshing my French by reading the subtitles and hearing them. I'll tell you later. I don't want to take up too much time. Let's go to BJ Magnani. You have picked a quote that has not been used on this show maybe ever, ever, ever in so many years, and I love it. Rhett Butler played by Clark Gable. Oh, be still my heart way before my time. Gone with the Wind, 1939 American epic historical romance film. There are all those adjectives put together. I don't know if you know this, BJ, but for the role of Scarlett O'Hara, uh, who was originally, eventually hired Vivian Lee, mm-hmm. they interviewed 1,400 unknown actresses for that part until they found Vivian Lee. Is that interesting? It won 10 Oscars at the 12th Academy Awards, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, posthumously to Sidney Howard, Best Actress, Lee, Best Supporting Actress, Hattie McDaniel, was the first African-American to win that award. And it was the highest earning film then and for 25 years after. But here's what's interesting. If you adjust the amount, I don't have the amount in front of me, for inflation, it is still the highest grossing film in history and one of the greatest films of all time, one of the first 25 to be registered, preserved for the U.S. National Film Registry starting in 1989. And of course, here's the line. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I'm not a good Clark Gable, but wow, it's still the highest. Can you believe that, BJ? How did you pick this, and what are we not giving a damn about? Yeah, well, you know, it's a, it's again like another movie I picked once before in your show, an old-fashioned movie, but very, yeah, I just love it. Um, when I thought about that quote, I was thinking, you know, the way publishing is going, you know. The author might say, I don't give a damn in the sense that we can do anything we want. We want to self-publish now. We want to go to small publishers. You're not hemmed in by just the big five. That's a wonderful option if you can get it, but we can go anywhere. Think about what we can do. And, you know, just to tie it back to what you originally talked about when you talked about the Diamond Sutra. Before we had anything written, we had oral tradition. We have been telling stories to each other. Like Matt said, you know, wanting to elicit that emotion. That's the contract you make with your readers that you want to get something. uh, You want to give them something that they can feel, that they can think about, that they can talk about. And um, that might mean breaking a few rules in your writing. That might be not sticking with the trends and you know a publisher or a editor might say i think you should do this and you go frankly i don't give a damn it's my story and i want to tell it this way i love that thank you very much breaking the mold eddie are you with us your picture is all dark we can't see you but i'm gonna re- there you go eddie's back eddie i'm thank you so much bj i appreciate that I think that's where we need to be in life sometimes these days. I don't give a damn, except sometimes that's on the wrong side. So we will just leave that. No politics on my show. Eddie Vincent, are you here? Eddie, can you hear me? Eddie, Eddie, calling Eddie. I think he froze. I'm going to read his quote and see if he, he is able to hear me. Eddie, can you say something? I think he's having more of a problem than I am. Okay, I'm going to read. Eddie, 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 calling Eddie. We're live, so we want to keep can you, you going. <laughs> Yeah, we can keep you. Uh, you're, well, we can keep you. The quote he picked is from Michael Corleone, 
Of course, Vito's son, played by Al Pacino, The Godfather, 1972 American crime film. Another one, one of the greatest films of all time. And part two is one of the best sequels in the history of cinema. It won nine out of 28 total Academy Awards from nominations. And variations of this quote appear three times in the movie and in both sequels, directed, of course, course by Franklin I'm sorry, Francis Ford Coppola. Did we lose Eddie altogether? We lost Eddie. I'm just going to read his quote so we can move on. But the quote is, I'm going to make, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. I don't know if that's the way Pacino said it. We're going to move on. I didn't have time to put any of your predictions into the chat yet because I was waiting for Eddie. But if Eddie comes back, I will be glad to let him in. This is our modern technology for conferencing, isn't it? Okay, Patricia Worcester, I'm just going to read your prediction. These are short and sweet, so I don't think I need to, to post them into the chat here for you. So, Patricia, let's go with... Let's go with prediction number one. Let me read it for you. Digital and audio books will not replace print media. Patricia, take about two minutes and tell us. Eddie's back. Go ahead. Patricia? Yeah. Yeah. So I think especially, you know, I usually talk from a nonfiction standpoint because I'm usually talking about personal development, business books, and those kind of things. And I think most of us who consume those books are looking to kind of broaden our thought leadership or learn something. And so I think having that tactile thing that we can highlight, we can mark and stuff, there's an experience there that's different. And, you know, fiction is great to go take outside and read on a Kindle or those kind of things. But some of us want to get off of the screens. And I think also, you know, when we sit down with our kids at night in bed, I would hate to think that we're going to be sitting there with iPads reading our kids books at night you know, and looking at a blue screen and that's the last thing we see. So I think print books, there's enough of us out there that still like them on our bookshelf. We still like to turn the page. You know, I I remember a conversation I had with my mom a few weeks ago and she was talking about the cost of newspapers now, of all these newspapers want you to go digital. And it was going like in Kansas City, it was going a hundredfold in the cost of getting the paper copy And she just said, I refuse to do the crossword on my iPad. When I drink my coffee, I want a piece of paper to turn. I want to hold that paper up. And there's, I think the paper is just not going to go away. And I do think that, you know, there's certain people that are going to listen to books. They're going to do the digital, but I think that's in addition to the paper content. And I did read something recently, and it may have been through Tucker Max of talking about paper the cause, the paperbacks going up sales in the nonfiction arena um, lately and the digital copies of nonfiction going down as the paperback copies have gone up. Very interesting. Anybody have any comments? BG, I see you're nodding a lot. You want to yeah, make a I mean, comment? I, I'm one of those people who want to hold a book in my hand. Yep. Now, I have certainly done eBooks and that's fine. It's They're very portable if you're traveling, but there's nothing like sitting a book on your belly when you're reading in bed or on the couch. And and I agree. And also it makes it a lot easier when you're doing a mystery to go back and say, what clue did I miss? Or let me double check that. Yes, there's something cold and impersonal when you are are thumbing back through, okay, using the back arrow, but I'm gonna add something to this part of the discussion. 
I like touching a book. Patricia, to me, it's it's tactile. What kind of paper did they use? What font did they use? Can I feel it raised on the page? What does the cover look like? And I, in my opening, I said, in order to be competitive, some print books are now having gilded edges. Well, I found a bunch of old journals. I'm cleaning out my office before I move. I bought some of those journals. I'm not a journal person, but I found them on sale in a bookstore. And they've got a beautiful leather cover with a special clasp. And the pages are gold-edged. I don't even want to give those away. I just want them on my bookshelf because they just look good. They feel good. They feel special. I might write something on one of them. Eddie, thank you very much, Patricia, for that. Eddie, you missed out on the quote part. I read your quote and then we you were frozen and you came back, which is great. So Eddie, would you please take a minute or two and tell us your quote was from Michael Corleone, the son who inherited the empire from the Godfather, and he said, I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. Eddie, what are we talking about here? Well, from my perspective, uh, it's making an offer to an author that the author can't refuse. Making the deal, you know, the deal, making deals with subsidiary rights like large print, just an offer that someone just can't refuse that it's gonna be perfect for all of us. It's a win-win is what I'm going for. Very interesting. Matt, please. I would like to point out that with the latest book I was talking about, I uh, at first said no to Eddie on publishing the book. And then the next morning, I woke up with a horse head in my bed. <laughs> Anybody well, you're, not that too... <laughs> you're not that far away from me, Matt. I, I can drive over there. He did. Well, he's it was an offer I couldn't refuse. Matt, next time he's going to bring in my air popper. That'll we'll throw that in for an extra. You'll say no, no, please not that. Thank you very much. Uh, we're Eddie. We're not putting in the predictions into the chat because we're moving so quickly. So I'm just going to read predictions. Matt, I'm looking at your. This is interesting. Prediction number one. Let me read this for you, Matt. The big five publishing houses. Everybody, put your seatbelt on. Will be out of business in ten years due to putting all their resources behind too few authors. Matt, how dare you? <laughs> Go ahead, explain, talk to me, seriously? It's sort of sacrilegious there to attack yeah. the big five, isn't it? But Who are the big five? Who's left? Because there's, there's still some M&As, mergers and acquisitions going on. Who are the big five? Uh, there's a fight over, you know, Simon and & Schuster and the other one. Um, but I probably couldn't even tick off the top five now because I think they're becoming obsolete. <laughs> so let me tell you why. Yeah. <laughs> they're uh, putting all their eggs in one basket and there are too few eggs. Um, I am not published with a big five. I'm very happy where I am, but I know people that are published and they're getting you know book deals and uh, they're publishing 50, 100,000 or more books, but they're not getting the marketing support. So these big five are not putting their money behind these authors who are very good authors and can sell a lot of books. They're expected to do it themselves and they can't push out that many books. So therefore the publisher starts to drop them all of the money is going to Stephen King, um, Patterson, people like that, very select few. And I would suggest that as that goes along, they're losing their hunger and their diversity and their ability to take chances and take risks, which is 
an important part of anything in life. And so they have, you know, when James Patterson and Stephen King get old, outdated, they're going to have nothing left and they're going to be holding an empty bag. And below them will be many hungry uh, smaller publishers that have been working the entire time to take those chances to diversify and to take risks. And they're going to step into that void and replace them. Thank you. Anybody else have a comment? Yeah, Patricia, please go. <laughs> yeah, well, and also James Patterson, he also self-publishes quite a few books too. So he's double dipping on both sides. Um, he also has a number of pen names that he self-publishes under as well. And a number of authors that write under his name too. But um you know, the biggest problem I had and why I started a publishing company, because I did publish um, several books with Simon & Schuster and, and was what he just talked about, but is that they don't look at authors too at, from a full view. They don't want to build them out as a brand. And now authors need to be a brand. They need to be on social media and nonfiction authors really need to have a value ladder. So they need to do like public speaking or have digital courses or consulting, or they've got to have more going on. And the issue that I had with big five, and this ties into the question that I had, Bonnie, the prediction I had was that because they don't encourage authors to have a brand, authors can't sustain. And the authors have to have other products and services to, to build out. And Hay House is one of the few with Brendan Burchard, Gabby Bernstein, and some of those people that actually do help their authors. But Simon & Schuster didn't even want to put a website in their book. They don't want to link and let their authors build profiles, not even understanding that if an author has a bigger profile, that helps them. That helps sell right. more books and put it out there. So they just don't understand what's happening in the marketplace. And um, because of that, yeah, people, everyone I work, they don't want to go to these big five. It takes two years. If you already have a following, it's easier to be a TikTok, 15-year-old TikToker and get a big five publishing deal right now than to be somebody who's a great writer. And then to get marketing support, it's not going to happen. And then they do not want you to have a business behind it. And so, yeah, I absolutely agree with Matt. Um, the alternatives, if you have confidence in yourself, are so much better. We need to get away from this thought that if you're not with a big five, that it doesn't count. Um, and just move on and think about building out authors as personalities and what's best for individual authors and their books. Thank you, Patricia. Very interesting. BJ, please. Yeah, I just us. want to add one quick thing to that because Matt brought up some very well-known um, authors. Um, actually, Stephen King testified against having that big merger that's, that was proposed because he thought it would hurt uh, smaller authors and the growing pool of authors. So we do have some big names that are, you know, even though they published with the big five, they are still behind um, growing talent. 
Thank you. And the concept, Patricia and everybody, of growing a brand, of having a brand, they, they started saying five, ten years ago, if you don't have an online presence, you don't exist as a human being mm -hmm. anymore. And, and that was something as simple as being on Facebook, and now it's on LinkedIn and Twitter. But uh, who was it, Patricia? You said a, a TikToker, 15 years old, has a better chance of getting a publishing contract. Uh, look at the the numbers, the huge numbers of followers. Of uh, when I do my Monday night show, I do famous birthdays, and I always pick a couple of Instagram stars, YouTube stars, TikTok stars that nobody in my world has ever heard of, and I wish them a happy birthday. And the names are outrageous, but then I read who they are. Some of them have a couple of million followers. Are you kidding me? 15, 16, 18 years old, 20 years old, 30 years old, doing crazy stuff, spoofs and videos and, and, and blogs. And the world is going toward that kind of activity, that kind of out of the box creativity that we didn't know anything about five years ago. And I guess that's where the big, big houses want to find the money trail. Let's go on. Thank you very much. Good round on that one. Thank you, Matt. Great prediction. Uh, very daring, and I'm glad that it sparked quite a conversation. Patricia, thanks for the primer or primer on how to do or not do with a big publishing house. We'll leave that one alone. BJ, I'm looking at prediction number two. I like this one a lot. You say the demand for audiobooks and books released serially in podcasts to game or to get interest will increase. What are we talking about here in terms of being released serially? I like this. Go. Yeah, well, um, you know, as we mentioned before, certainly there's nothing going to replace the, you know, the book in the hand, but more people are now busy, they're driving places, they want to do audiobooks, or for some reason they can't read uh, um, because of their eyesight problems or whatever. So audiobooks are out there and, uh, and you know, they'll stay. Um, the interesting thing about the podcast or releasing something seriously in the old days of radio, remember we used to have these serial stories and you would tune in, you know, uh, every Friday night and it would be a detective story and they would tell you and it kind of kept you coming back. It perked some interest. And I think that we might be going back to that, you know, serial released books or podcasts or the same way also that certain authors like Dickens released some of their books uh, in print, of course, newspaper, but it was released um, over time. And I think that will gain interest. And remember too, that right now the market is fighting with um, videos, with gamers, with streaming, there's all those competitive things. So you've got a population of uh, younger people who are used to this kind of media, uh, as opposed to just the print book, let's say, and they might find that more fun, more engaging. Um, so I see that we could be going there. Thank you. And I will mention that I watch, as I said in the beginning, I watch some French detective shows. And one of my favorites is Sharif, C-H-E-R-I-F. And what's interesting is these shows have been done in Europe and released on different streaming channels, but coming to the U.S. and it's on Prime, it's interesting. They're only dropping two episodes at a time, a week or two apart. So I'm in season six and it pops up automatically on Prime. Do you want to continue watching? But it's two fresh episodes, but there's only two out of the 12 in the series. So I'm up to, I think, episode last night, I watched five and six out of 12, and they will drop the next. So they've made it 
in an on-demand, on-demand way, BJ, where I don't get it all. I, I binge the whole damn thing in one, one weekend or one night. I love it so much. They're making me want it more by right. not giving it, even though the shows are, I think, a couple of years old because the actor, the lead actor plays Sharif Kader, Sharif, I can't even pronounce his name. It's a Middle Eastern name with so many letters, I don't even know what to say. But anyway, he decided to leave the series after seven successful years, so it's already gone, and I'm still watching season six, and there are seven seasons. So there, so there's your demand. Thank you very much, Eddie Vincent. I'm looking at prediction number one. This is interesting. And remember, we're talking about technology here. More and more books will become movies and TV series. This I want to hear. Eddie, talk, please. Well, uh, I said that because the movie and Hollywood people are looking for content. And where they're looking for content is in books. I know this because I am actually working with people that are trying to get our books into movies right now. So it's just a matter of content. If we feed Hollywood or Netflix or anybody like that with content, then they'll come out with movies or TV series. And I think we covered that on one episode I did with some of you, uh, maybe a year ago, Eddie, you might've been on that one, where I, I the premise was in this era of technology and publishing, does a book have to be adapted into a TV series or a movie to be considered successful? Let me just go around the table and ask that question. Matt, would you consider a book still successful with good sales, even if it's not, oh, we want to make that into a series? Yes or no, and why? Uh, I absolutely think that a book can be successful on its own merits. That being said, I'd love to make it into a movie or a series. <laughs> okay. BJ, what about you? Yeah, same thing. I think certainly books can, can be uh, successful on their own. And again, like Matt, I can see my Dr. Lily Robinson becoming a series, uh, follow the series of the books. It'd be great to follow her life, you know? I would follow her. Patricia, what's your thought? No, I mean, I absolutely agree with everyone. And, you know, the other thing too, is you want to make sure that the series lives up to the book. You know, we see Bosch and Bosch is great. You know, I read the books way before the series came out, but what if, you know, we saw um, what's the one with Jack Reacher when they um, cast Tom Cruise and everyone got disappointed because Tom Cruise didn't live up to who they thought Jack Reacher was. And so, you know, you also want to have a good match if it comes out as a series, but yeah, I think, you know, books are an escape on their own, you know, and authors are, you know, they are the creators of art. So they don't need anything else. They don't need a TV series um, to make them successful. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Matt, talk. Um, you know, Michael Connolly stayed very involved with the, Mike, uh, with the Bosch series. And that's why it made such a successful transition. Whereas Lee Child, I don't think did so well. So I guess I would like to think if I was to transition from book to movie or series that I was able to, you know, retain a lot of uh, say-so in how it's made and how that conversion and transition process takes place. Interesting who would be the lead, who would, and we'll go around in a second, but I'm thinking of the James Bond movies. How many of you loved 
which actor the best to be 007? Look at how many there were. Is there ever going to be anybody better than Sean Connery? No. What about my, no there you go. What about uh, Daniel Craig? I don't know. What about Pierce Brosnan? Not so sure, but I like him anyway. What about how many people we see in a book or a, or a series, we see who we think should best personify and we can get very disappointed. I'll give you a, a quick backstory on that. Eddie, thank you for that really good prediction. When I was growing up, I won't give you any years, we bought 45 RPM records and we played them. We watched American Bandstand, Dick Clark had the stars on and Frankie Avalon and what's his name, Fabian and, and Annette Funicello and uh, all the all the heartthrobs and I don't think Elvis ever got their chubby checker, did the twist. But then they came out with eventually music videos. I didn't like that because they told me what the girl and the boy in the storytelling in the song were supposed to look like. I wanted to imagine them on my own. I didn't want anybody telling me, oh, this is what, what the, before the car crash and before they broke up, this is what she looked like. This is what she wore. This is where she lived. I wanted to, we just froze. I wanted to imagine that person, that persona, those personalities. I wanted to imagine them on my own and I wanted to put that story into my own head. So talking about, I want to go around the table, even though I can't see you right now because we're frozen. I want to ask who's your favorite character in your series and just keep talking and, um, who would you like to play that character? We're back. Okay, let's start with you, Patricia. Favorite book that you've written? If there's a fiction title, is there a hero or a heroine you would like somebody special to play in the movie? I don't have any fiction titles. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to pass it over to Matt. That's fine. Matt, what's your favorite? That's fine. Fair enough. Matt, go ahead. Uh, I guess in my mainly mystery series, Goff Langdon would be played by maybe Bill Pullman. And in my Clay Wolf Port Essex series, Clay Wolf would be played by Ryan Goslin. Very popular. You'd have, be hard pressed to get him. You need a big budget for that. Any other series you have with us, a key heroine or hero you'd like to see played? Um, no, I, I have some mysteries. And I, off the top of my head, I'm not really sure what characters. Mm -hmm. And then my upcoming new series, The Historical P.I., I, I haven't got around to figuring out who he would be yet. So okay, well, we'll leave that know. open. You know, if any actors out there think that they would play fit the role well, have them give me a call. You might have to call. You might have to come back on the show and talk about that. <laughs> BJ, you have something in mind for Lily Robbins and who I, would she be? Yeah, I do. Um, um, but just before I tell you about Lily Robinson, I was just thinking about what you said. And I remember when I read Dan Brown's book, um, the Da Vinci Code, I had in mind who that person was. And I was so disappointed when it turned out to be Tom Hanks. Not that he's not a wonderful actor, but he was not who I pictured. Anyway, to get back to my series, um, I wanted to pick a person who I think has a lot of gravitas as an actress or an actor. And that is Natalie Portman. Um, by the way, she and I graduated from the same high school. And, uh, you know, she's got a great academic background and she's just about the right person, I think, who could play Lily Robinson, um, you know, as a believable academic, but also as a savvy assassin, if you think about other roles that she's played in her life. So I would pick her. Very interesting. And Eddie, are, are, do you, have you written any fiction? Do you have any heroes or heroines? Talk to me. I have no, 
no writing skills whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> but you're a good publisher. Do you have any any uh, authors whose series you would like to pick an actor or actor for? You could talk um, about somebody. I can't think of one off the top of my head uh, because we're doing so many different authors and series. Uh, nothing's jumping off the page okay. right now. All right. That's you might want to check with them and see who they'd like and send me a note. Maybe we'll do a little segment on that. That'd be interesting. Who, whom do you choose to play your hero or heroine? And how would the audiences react to that visual demand? This is who I think should play that character. You have to embrace this person. You have to accept that person. I don't know. Uh, Patricia, I think we have time for a couple more predictions. I'm going to read number three. This is a real tech one. You say it will become more difficult to trace where IP originates with so many platforms, print, digital, blockchain, web three. Patricia, enlighten us, please. So I think it's already getting kind of difficult to track where things are originating. It's also getting really difficult for things not to be picked up. So for example, I don't know how many people are familiar with the app Clubhouse, but there's yes. other apps like that. So they're basically live podcasting, interactive podcasting apps. So there's Fireside, Wisdom app, mm -hmm. those kind of apps. And you find things like that where people are going on, they're sharing a lot of their intellectual property by answering questions for people, doing kind of these little mini TED Talks and things, but they haven't published anything yet or they haven't put it in writing, they haven't trademarked it, they haven't put it into a program. You know, they're kind of testing their material and we're starting to see that same stuff show up somewhere else. Somebody else pulls it, they put it into their stuff and it's like, you know, and so right now with Designing Genius, we're in this process where I'm working with somebody who has some IP that she has been developing for 35 years and it is not existent anywhere. And we have been advised trademarking is doesn't really work anymore. It used to be you put it on Wikipedia because Wikipedia used to be really tight of if you put it there, that's your digital footprint. Well, now anybody can go into Wikipedia. They can start, you know, doing things there. And so it's getting really difficult to, and we're working with some really, you know, pretty high-end people to try to figure out what to do here. It's getting very difficult when somebody is a thought leader or somebody's on that, you know, expertise side is to establish ownership for something because people can pick it up. People are putting stuff on social media, not realizing when they do a post that anybody can pick that up and put it into a book or get to it faster. So if somebody has money and resources, they can grab what you say and monetize it and claim it before you do. And so people really have to think about that who are in a space where, you know, they're just, you see it on LinkedIn. People put these really great, thoughtful, detailed posts and you, you have to be careful is have you established that you are the owner of that first or is somebody going to claim it because they can throw it out i see books of mine that have been in print and they are showing up in other places with other people's names on them oh, so that's what? been happening what? for years but Seriously? now we're seeing people ai is pulling content from different people and spinning it in and putting somebody else's name on things so it'll be interesting to see how we're going to they say blockchain creates that chain of ownership. It's supposed to. But we've got to figure out how to use it 
because there's people can use it the opposite too of create ownership of something that's not theirs and get put it on there first. So it'll be interesting to see how they work all that out. Very. And when I opened that prediction about two minutes ago, three minutes ago, before Patricia graciously expanded it, I, I should have said IP is intellectual property. That's what we're talking about in case somebody said, well, IP, IT, IOT. We've got a lot of alphabet soup going on these days. I'm thinking very quickly. And, and Matt, I have one more prediction we're going to squeeze in for you, but I'll read it in a second. I'm thinking that Mariah Carey just declared, thank you, Gabe, four minutes. Uh, Mariah Clary, Carey just declared she wants to be the queen of Christmas. And two other singers said, not so fast, ex-wife of Nick Cannon. Well, I just added that in to show I know who she is. Um, not so fast. You, We're the queen of Christmas. You can't just claim that title, that intellectual property. So let's just leave that one alone. So coming to a screen near you in a couple months, who is the real queen of Christmas? Matt, I'm going to read this prediction, and then we'll, everybody stick around. We've got to take more pictures. Matt says, I love this one, a wave of nostalgia for the old days will sweep. Everybody do sweep through. Come on, everybody join me. Sweep through the country. I assume through the world in the next year, bringing back books and movies of noir private eyes set in the past. Oh, Matt, be still my heart. You got two minutes for this and then we got to close. Go ahead, Matt. Well, Bonnie, you know, I'm a history guy as well as a mystery guy. So that wave of nostalgia is kind of combining those two loves of mine, because as a history guy, I realized that, you know, history does work in cycles and things do repeat themselves. And as I've been researching and writing my new Brooklyn Eight Ballot mystery series, the first one called Velma Gone Awry, I realized that the 1920s Brooklyn and the world is very similar to the 2020s and that we are just kind of on a cycle here. And so flashing back to that day and age, there's good and bad and focusing on the good, obviously, is that nostalgia for the old time ways of the uh, noir PI with the jazz music and whatnot. So I'm, I'm predicting that that's going to come back around in the 2020s and uh, people are going to embrace it, not just on YouTube, but in paperback. Very, very interesting. Um, one of my favorite French phrases, Matt, is plus ça change, plus à la même chose. The more things change, the more they stay the same, right? That's the cycle. It goes around, not goes around, comes around, but the more things change, the more they stay the same. Anybody have a really quick one or two sentence comments on what Matt said, BJ? Patricia, you reacted to that. Eddie, anybody want to comment on the old coming back, the noir? Anybody? I think it's what we said before in terms what I was mentioning about these podcasts or these release of interesting book. You know, it's going back to what we used to do to make it interesting. So like Matt said, it's a full cycle. Full cycle. Thank you very much. I've had such a good time with the four of you. Let's do something we don't usually do. You want to give a website where people can know more about you, where they can find your books or something about you. If you do, just raise your hand. Who wants to give a website where they can find you? Anybody? BJ, go ahead. Oh, uh, well, www, um, and it's bjmagnani.com. That will take you, .com. You'll take you to all my books, um, events that I'll be doing, um, pictures. I have a nice gallery, and I write a poison blog every month. And so you can find out something new about a poison you didn't know about. <laughs> 
Thank you. B-J-M-A-G-N-A-N-I.com. Eddie Vincent, where do you want people to go? Uh, EncirclePub.com. If they go to EncirclePub.com, they can find out about all of our authors and they can join our mailing list so that they can get all the upcoming titles. Lovely. E-N-C-I-R-C-L-E-P-U-B.com. Patricia, any place you want people to go? I'll keep it easy. PatriciaWooster.com. P-A-T-R-I-C-I-A-W-O-O-S-T-E-R.com. Matt Cost, where? I'm a little different. MattCost.net. How about that? M-A-T-T-C-O-S-T dot N-E-T. Shout out to Gabe, our engineer. Thank you very much. Wave goodbye. We're not quite done yet. Wave goodbye to LinkedIn and Facebook, everybody. And here's my closing. Everybody, on the count of three, you're going to raise your finger and shout with me. You're going to say, no, no, no. Everybody says the future is already here. And our answer is, okay, everybody, one, two, three. No, no, no. And the reason is... That was yesterday's future. Today's future hasn't even begun. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.